right, so welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast. And today I have a very special guest. I would imagine most of my listeners um, would recognize the name, but just in case they don't, it's uh, Lon Milo Duquette. And so can you introduce yourself and, you know, a little bit about your background and how you initially got into Thelema? Uh, well, I, uh, I, well, my name is Lon Milo Duquette, and uh, I, uh, I guess I, I'm a writer uh, because I don't know what else I might uh, do to make an honest living otherwise. And uh, <laughs> I write about, uh, I'm an old guy, I'm an old hippie. <laughs> Just uh, turned seventy three in uh, in uh, July, and uh, I, I write about subjects uh, concerning sort of the Western esoteric uh, traditions, mm-hmm. uh, especially ceremonial magic and and several varieties of ceremonial magic in particular. And um, the Hermetic Kabbalah, I don't pretend to be a, you know, a Orthodox um, Hebrew scholar Kabbalah kind of guy, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, Kabbalistic uh, uh, techniques and Kabbalistic thought is uh, uh, a big, big part of the Western Hermetic tradition. So I'm a, a Hermetic Kabbalist and I write about uh, about that too and i'm a singer songwriter mm-hmm. and um just an all-around bum actually uh, <laughs> oh, i like that explanation an all-around bum we're gonna we're gonna google your name uh long milo together <laughs> all-around bum <laughs> so but a well-rounded one uh, <laughs> a balanced out one yeah yeah Okay, very good, very good. I'm curious uh, because you talked a little bit about, you know, you're you are um, very involved with writing in the Western esoteric tradition. Um, is there anything in particular particular that made Thelema click for you? Was there a moment where you're like, okay, this is I'm all in here, or where sort of you really feel like, you know, this was your calling or your path? Well, um, mostly the the personality of its founder, Alistair Crowley. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, once I got past the the horrible, hideous reputation uh, of the man, um, and uh, uh, which he cultivated carefully during <laughs> during uh, mm-hmm. his lifetime, um, I uh, I just totally resonated with his. Uh, uh, his brilliance and his sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned that, you know, my wife and I are old, old hippies. Uh, I really mean that. Uh, mm-hmm. We tuned in, turned on, and dropped out around 1966, 67. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but we did it uh, sort of toward the deep end of the, the spiritual end of it. Um, the mystical, mystical end of it, um, and we we took it pretty pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. And I was a big fan of um, uh, sort of the counterculture heroes, uh, uh, Timothy Leary and uh, uh, Alan Watts, 
and um, um, uh, Dr. Alpert, who labor, later became Ram Das, and mm -hmm. and uh, all of these people had had uh, an appeal to the to the young and rebellious uh, uh, people, such as myself. And uh, uh, prior to getting uh, deep into psychedelic uh, mysticism, uh, I was very active in the anti-war movement. Mm -hmm. and the uh, anti-Vietnam War movement and uh, the early days of the civil rights uh, uh, efforts. Mm -hmm. So, so I, was, I was used to being, being a, a rebel and, um, uh, and sort of a socially conscious uh, sort of agnostic, you know, I wasn't, um, I was spiritual at heart, but wasn't at all uh, religious in the, in the way that all my Methodist, <laughs> my Methodist uh, colleagues when I was growing up were. Mm. And uh, Alistair Crowley seemed just like a hippie in 1900, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so, so uh, just the fact that he was so outrageous and audacious and so brilliant and so utterly funny that uh, I was just uh, a, a, attracted to him. And even the, the things that he talked about that I wasn't uh, at the time particularly interested in, um, he gave them credibility, you know, as well, mm -hmm. gee, if, if, you know, Crowley is into... Uh, you know, pranayama and, and uh, uh, different kinds of meditative techniques. And then his ceremonial magic thing, th there might be some credence to that too. So mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the Crowley stuff uh, originally attracted me to it. And then there was just a series of absolute accidents whereby... Um, I came into contact with, with uh, uh, several old students of Aleister Crowley, people that lived with Aleister Crowley, um, mm. old magician Thelemites. I'm talking specifically about uh, Francis Israel Regarde, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Grady McMurtry, both, both of whom uh, actually stayed with, with Crowley. Mm -hmm. uh, Regarde was his private secretary in the, in the 20s. Mm -hmm. And uh, McMurtry uh, was with Crowley during World War II in, in England. And McMurtry's wife at the time was, uh, was Phyllis Seckler, mm -hmm. who was a student of Jane Wolfe, who uh, was with Crowley uh, at the famous or infamous Abbey of Thelema in Sicily in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. and, and I was just so incredibly lucky. I just fell literally fell from one accident to another to, to <laughs> come in contact with uh, with these people and in very short order be, become initiated by them uh, not regarding regarding uh, didn't initiate me into anything really <laughs> uh, except um, uh, his wisdom mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I've, I've just been lucky Mm. Yeah, it sounds like uh, that's a pretty big synchronicity or coincidence just to sort of um, 
be surrounded by all of these sort of figureheads or, you know, pioneers um, uh, of Thelema, really. But, um, I, I mm-hmm. seem so helpless and so, so clueless mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, they, obviously they felt sorry for me and uh, uh, were, were patient with me. And when I said, gee, does he, did he really eat 120 babies that year? Uh, <laughs> you know, they were kind enough uh to be patient and say no he didn't eat any babies <laughs> <You know? laughs> no lon he didn't eat you won't be asked to eat any babies lon you know <laughs> uh that's pretty funny that's interesting well you've been involved obviously with Lima for um several decades now and close with some of these early uh pioneers i guess you would say what, what would you describe, what is the goal of Thelema and its practices? And do you feel like Thelema can lead to illumination or produce, you know, maybe like what other traditions might call enlightened spiritual masters or illuminated individuals? Uh, well, I'll answer the second part of it first. What, uh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, I, I think the, the personal... Uh, practice of the principles of Thelema uh, can definitely uh, lead to, uh, you know, ultimate awakening. Uh, but but so can uh, uh, so can flower arranging. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can martial arts. So can yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same awakening. Okay, it's <laughs> okay when you wake up you wake up uh it's uh, it doesn't really there isn't a special kind of thalemic wake up and a and a flower arranging wake up or a <laughs> yoga wake up okay it's the same same wake up so uh uh if you applied yourself with thalema in the same same way that that other um techniques or or ways of um of thinking practices, um, then, then of course it can lead to that. But uh, it, it truly all depends on, on the person. And uh, if you don't resonate to, to Thelema, you know, do something that you do resonate to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Thelema itself is, it's um, Wikipedia has, has got, probably the the cleanest little one sentence uh, definition of Thelema. Mm-hmm. And it calls it, although th- there are Thelemites who will, will argue with you, but there are th- Thelemites that will argue with you about anything. So don't <laughs> that. That's true. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's an occult uh, spiritual philosophy. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it as if it was an organized way, like there, there's there's a whole body of different uh, uh, organizations and and things associated with uh, with the Lima, then you could actually, if you wanted to, and if it doesn't bug you, you could call it a religious movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I say, it was developed by Aleister Crowley back uh, around the turn of the 20th century. And uh, Crowley was already sort of an, a, an established uh, uh, 
poet and a writer, uh, you know, even before he started doing all of this stuff. And not only that, he was uh, uh, at least uh, an, an amateur uh, intelligence agent for British intelligence mm -hmm. uh, who was recruited in uh, uh, his uh, early 20s while, while he was going to uh, uh, Cambridge. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but in those days, spies were uh, and agents were, were amateurs. It was very British. Mm. Okay, you're <laughs> you're an amateur. You know, you uh, you'll you'll spy while you're on vacation in Capri. You know, right. <laughs> right. It's, that's uh, definitely something that uh, Crowley and John Dee both had in common. That they had this sort of like side roles, right? As a, um, as a British spy, I guess you would say. Yes. Mm -hmm. Please, I'm not a spy. <laughs> oh, thank no, God, thank God. My no matter what, what you may read on the internet, okay, <laughs> I am not a... So. Uh, that's pretty funny. Well, I definitely agree that um, I always recommend people to read Crowley's writings because you can read a lot of other writings of other, I guess you would say, spiritual masters, prophets, mystics, and some of them are funny, but Crowley's in particular are really funny. <laughs> you, really I'll, funny. I'll catch myself reading, you know, something that's very illuminating, enlightening, thought-provoking, and then the next sentence I'll be cracking up. So, and that's yeah. that's somewhat rare, I feel like, with um, some of the mystical material it can be kind of heavy at times and, you know. Um, right. Yeah. Well, in, at times it's like Monty Python meets Saint Francis. You know, <laughs> right. that's a good that's a good explanation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or Rumi or something like that. It's mm -hmm. um, most definitely the guy, the guy keeps you awake while um, uh, trying to turn the lights on in you. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, good explanation. Um, all right, cool. Uh, one book that I really recommend to a lot of people, I'm very interested in Enochian magic and have been working with it for a couple years. And of all things, actually, uh, one of the big catalysts was you had a Zoom course a couple years back, um, which you can still find it's still available on your uh, pandemic workshop uh, page, yeah. I believe. Is that the yeah. name of it? Right. Yeah, I, I think there's four of them. Uh... It's a four-part thing, I believe. Yeah, exactly. It's four modules, basically four videos. And um, I had read a few books and stuff like that prior, but never actually, you know, um, did did any of the practice, right? I would read the books and, um, you know, got some of the original diaries and other, other modern texts like your Nokian Vision Magic, which is really good. But uh, with that workshop, it's a very good introduction, has four modules and not only do you get a little bit about the background story, but you also um, work with us to sort of scry some aethers, <clears throat> do some work with the great table. And so it's a very uh, uh, informative, informative, but also practical. You actually dip your toes in doing something, right? Yeah, so, we, mm -hmm, we, mm -hmm. we get into doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so um, I'm kind of curious, like, how... How is your, um, like working with Enochian Vision Magic, the book, and also this um, this pandemic workshop series, how has your work with Enochian sort of evolved over time? Because in your previous books, it was, um, there was less focus on sort of the original D material and 
uh, way of doing things. And then over time, it seems like it sort of evolved and expanded. Can you share a little bit about that? Oh, sure. The, um, uh, well, I, I joined the OTO, or Ordo Templi Orientis, mm -hmm. uh, in uh, 1975. And um, just a couple years later, uh, I was chartered a lodge of OTO uh, in Newport Beach and uh, uh, started initiating people into the, into the order. And uh, believe me, it's the blind leading the blind, okay? <laughs> and, uh, but I figured that even, even, um, the fact that, uh, you know, I, I was a novice myself uh, as far as much of the technical magical training was concerned, uh, but I, I was still, you know, a hardcore student. Uh, uh, but, and uh, early on I decided, well, I'm just gonna have a weekly uh, magic class and all of us here at the lodge we will learn magic together, okay? Mm -hmm. And that is still, that's still sort of my focus of my, my teaching. Uh, I, I only teach so I can learn stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, so we started learning the stuff that you, the, the beginning magicians always learn, like the uh, the pentagram ritual. Okay, so we we did a couple couple weeks on the pentagram ritual, mm -hmm. and then we did a couple weeks on the greater pentagram ritual, and then, mm -hmm. then we did a couple weeks on the greater invoking pentagram. Then in a, a couple weeks on the uh, greater banishing ritual. Then, then a couple weeks on the hexagram ritual. Oh Jesus! Yeah. <laughs> You know, after a few months, I was running out of stuff that I knew more about than the, the people that I was teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, so all I had on a Nokian was uh, a two-volume set of um, Israel Regarde's um, version of The Golden Dawn mm -hmm. and uh, a recently uh, published edition of Gems of the Equinox mm -hmm. uh, that Llewellyn, believe it or not, Llewellyn had that beautiful first uh, edition of Gems of the Equinox. Mm -hmm. And I was thumbing through Gems of the Equinox to see something for next week's magic class. Mm -hmm. And I stumbled over this uh, Liber Chanoke and, uh, and a few other uh, uh, essays from the equinox about Enochian magic and I thought well this looks sexy <laughs> you know I could I could probably do three weeks <laughs> I could probably do three weeks on this and, and so, so I made the announcement at, at class uh, well next week we're going to stop doing all these pentagram rituals and we're going to learn Together, we're going to learn some Enochian magic. Mm. Well, I went through Liber Hanoke, and I may as well have been reading Klingon, okay? 
<laughs> I had no idea what this was, what, what all of this was about. And I thought Crowley was being uh, purposefully obscure. What I didn't realize at the time is he was being brilliantly concise. Okay. Mm -hmm. He was being so concise that it didn't make any sense at first. It's like one of those things like uh, when you already know it, it's simplicity itself. Mm -hmm. But when you don't already know it, you don't know how you ever will get to know it. It's sort of like the catch-22 of uh, uh, being in the Screen Actors Guild. <laughs> you know, you right. <laughs> you can't get a gig unless you're in the guild, and you can't get a get in the guild unless you uh, got a gig. Right, so, right. But anyway, I started going through it and then comparing comparing the notes with uh, uh, what was in Regardi's book, and uh, uh, and at the time I was uh, in regular communication with Regardi, who just lived uh, up the road a piece in Studio City. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, he was not very encouraging about Enochian magic, you know, because I, I wanted to uh, uh, have the class actually make the uh, elemental tablets and things like that. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I wanted to make the tablets in three dimensions with uh, uh, four sets of 156 truncated pyramids all painted and everything. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, don't do that. They're dangerous enough when they're flat. <laughs> and I, I said, well, maybe they're dangerous when they're flat because they're all squished up in there. Maybe, you know. But, <laughs> um, but, um, uh, but anyway, mm -hmm. um, we started doing the Enochian uh, uh, study off of those two texts, which were the only thing available uh, at the time. Every once in a while, I would get uh, uh, a few other things were starting to get published. Uh, eventually, Laycox and Nokian Dictionary mm -hmm. uh, would come. But um, uh, to make a hideously long story, uh, less hideously long, um, it finally got to the point of where we had uh, together uh, made uh, sort of at least crude versions of the elemental tablets. And mm -hmm. we're starting to understand uh, how those related, how those four Enochian elemental tablets of fire, water, air, and earth were the truly the same thing as the four aces in the tarot. Mm -hmm. And that the, the little sub angles, the four uh, little sections of each of those tablets were just what the same thing that that the four court cards in each of the tarot suits were. And so we were starting to see, you know, a, a universal application mm -hmm. of, uh, of this. And it finally came time for us. Next week, we're actually going to, we're going to scry an angel off of the, the off of the earth tablet okay mm -hmm. we're going to stick our necks out we're actually going to do magic next week you know mm -hmm. and um so next week rolled around and and one of our students bought that brand new laycock enochian dictionary now i gotta explain something uh i gotta digress mm -hmm. <laughs> 
uh, Enochian magic is meant to trigger an altered state of consciousness in the magician. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, but a very specific kind of uh, frequency of consciousness. And there's multiple uh, calls that are recited in the Enochian angelic language. And that sets up a resonance uh, that's the equivalent of a very specific uh, magical conscious expansion drug, okay? Mm-hmm. That you, you sort of fall into a, rever- a specific kind of reverie. And each one of those calls uh, induces its own special kind of reverie. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And I think that um, it is one of the few systems where it's sort of how I guess growing up as a kid, you see those cartoons where somebody reads something like a, a wizard reads something off a book and it starts shape-shifting reality. I would say Enochian's basically kind of the magic you thought of as a kid. Like you read something and instantly things start changing, you know, it doesn't, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty uh, high octane, I guess you would say, but yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's high octane. It, uh, and, and especially, you, you know, when you've, when you've been a hermetic magician for a few years, you really get used to the fact that magic doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until you, until you find something like this, where it's just, yeah, uh, yeah but when I was um, uh, uh, taking your, um, the Zoom workshop, your Nokian Zoom workshop, and just listening to you read the call, this is before I had any of the temple furniture. Now I have, you know, the Pele ring and, um, a lot of the temple furniture, but even just hearing the call without that stuff, I already felt you know, I, my consciousness was expanding, almost like a mini psychedelic trip with visionary experiences. You're right, and and uh, that language, okay, is a, is very very unique. You know, there's lots of you know occult languages and and uh, angel language and stuff like that and barbarous words of evocation and in anything you know will will affect a change in consciousness because mm-hmm. it, everything does affect a change in our consciousness but the the enochian language was of interest to real live scholarly unmagical linguists because it is almost impossible indeed some linguists say it is impossible to create a wholly unique language mm-hmm. from scratch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Enochian appears to be that. The way it was it was channeled, uh, I mean it was channeled letter by letter uh, from grids. Uh, many pages of of grids mm-hmm. filled with letters and envision one at a time uh, an angel would point to one of the pages and one of the lines and one of the columns and say use that letter mm-hmm. and then they say turn the page 
you know, three pages over, okay, go to this line over here, this column over here, pick that line, letter by letter. And then it was read backwards. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then it was translated. Okay, right. they, they were given the translation uh, audibly in an audible audible uh, vision. <laughs> if, that's, mm. if you can say that, audible vision. Uh, <laughs> And as it turns out, there's 49 of these separate calls, okay? And they're, they're all translated, and it's proven to have its own consistent grammar and, and uh, a form of syntax, just, and it can be translated just like Latin or French or Greek. Mm -hmm. And and so it, it became of interest to scholars, linguist scholars. And Donald Laycock, Dr. Donald Laycock, was one of these guys. He wasn't a magician. I don't even think he had any interest in magic. Mm -hmm. But he said, look, there were two guys in 1583 that within a less than a two-year period invented a language yeah and they did it like this and it's so full of double blinds and triple blinds and quadruple blinds that it blew his mind mm. and before he died he said i'm going to write a book about this and he wrote a book uh which was a complete enochian dictionary and uh uh, one of our class members brought it to class. Mm. I told you I'd come around to this story. I'll get it back to our story. Mm -hmm. uh, and on the first night, we timidly used the call to call forth a specific angel uh, from the elemental tablet of Earth. It was the Mars senior. Mm -hmm. His name was Ladrum. And we had a seer or a, a, a person that volunteered to be the, be the clairvoyant. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as soon as we did the, the, the calls, we had to do the call a couple times. He fell, he fell into, I guess, we'd call it a trance. Mm. And he had a vision. And in the vision, during the vision, he fell into speaking another tongue mm -hmm. spontaneously. We had, a we had our little tape recorder going. Uh, we were all blown away because it was magic that was really working. And for heaven's sake, we weren't prepared for something like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it was a roaring success. We were all very excited. Uh, we took about, um, it took over an hour of us playing the tape back and back and back and uh, uh, using the Laycock's Enochian Dictionary. And we translated what was said uh, when David fell into the, the spontaneous speaking. Mm -hmm. And it said, uh, Spirit of Earth, 
we were working off the earth tablet spirit of earth first worshiper welcome visit hmm interesting wow and that, that, that's incredible yeah but anyway and from then on we did enochian magic uh for the next uh uh, two years we did it three or the next three years we did it two nights a week so mm, very interesting and, and it's in during that uh, that period that uh, that we sort of uh, very thoroughly and systematically uh, went through uh, Enochian magic as it was practiced by Aleister Crowley uh, and the Golden Dawn mm -hmm. And uh, because that was the only material we had to work with. But in the years between that, that you know, uh, late 1970s and then the early 90s, scholarship in Enochian magic became really good. And the original D material became more and more available and accessible. And I started to get fascinated by, okay, Crowley and the Golden Dawn, you know, took just a tiny piece of this material from the original 1500s mm -hmm. uh, D material, and they made a wonderful, workable, breathtaking system out of it. Mm -hmm. But what was D and Kelly doing to get that system? Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to know about that. And so with the help of, of uh, Clay Holden and and the John D project, and a uh, 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 friend sent me microfiche from uh, uh, the British uh, uh, Library in the Ashmolean material. Uh, and then, uh, of course, there's the True and Faithful Relation and other, other, uh, other material that allowed me to eavesdrop on what Dee and Kelly were doing to get mm -hmm. that material. And for me, that was even more fascinating because it's it's what Dee and Kelly did for three years to prepare themselves to be talking with these angels. And that's what right. I wanted to accomplish with Enochian vision magic. Right, right, right. So uh, most certainly, you know, building the, the temple furniture and having the tools and what have you and understanding, um, you know, fundamentally what they are, I do definitely feel like that in some way sort of um, attunes your subtle body and mind to the system. Yeah, the, uh, the whole thing's a tune-up process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, in a way, uh, Kabbalah, Kabbalah thought, Kabbalah techniques, and ceremonial magic is ultimately just a tuning up pro process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because we're all we're doing this for is to wake up. We're, mm -hmm. do, we're, we're doing this to, to become illuminated. Mm -hmm. And uh, the simple fact is that escapes, you know, at least attention early on, is that we're already awake. Mm. Yeah. We're all, we, our, our machinery is is uh, in a sense, we've got all the parts that uh, they're in pretty much all the right places, but we're just not awake to the fact that we're already there. 
Right, right. It's the uh, Buddha nature, as they say in the Eastern traditions. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're adding anything on. To, you know, to, mm -hmm. I'm not adding stuff on when I learn all of this stuff. I'm learning all of this stuff to tune myself uh, up to the pl place where I, where I know that I've already gotten rid of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, right, most definitely. Clearing out the uh, perception and the lens, so to speak. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Um, also, to kind of move on to out of Enochian, because that Enochian itself is definitely a big rabbit hole. <laughs> like you can, that's something, you know, as you mentioned earlier, like, oh, maybe we can do this for three weeks. I mean, it can take <laughs> a lifetime if you really want to get down and study, you know, the original materials and work the system. It's a very, um, the practice of it isn't very complex, but just the nitty gritty, I guess you would say, there's just so much to go down and learn and explore. And even uh, with like Lieber Loga and stuff like that, there are people still working on aspects of the system and hashing it out, but um, uh, very interesting. But uh, I, one thing I really liked, I also checked out your uh, HGA workshop and that was a very beautiful presentation, very beautiful story. Um, almost, it reminded me almost like of a roomy, uh, like almost roomy poetry to a degree. So I so was wondering if you can share a little bit about that experience and, you know, coming up with the uh, HGA workshop. Well, the HGA Holy Guardian Angel mm -hmm. um, uh, is, a, is a term, knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel as a, as a level of consciousness, as a religious experience, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term originated with um, uh, a book that uh, fragments of the book were translated into English from uh, uh, French fragments of it by uh, uh, McGregor Mathers in about 1888. And he, uh, he published it in English as the Sacred Magic of Abramelin the Mage, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, uh, a book uh, written originally in German, I think, mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the 1300s. And uh, don't quote me on that. I'm, it might be the 1400s. I don't know. Mm -hmm. so, but Abraham the Jew was... Uh, uh, a real-life historical character uh, with credentials in the, the mystical courts of, of Europe and Central Europe. And uh, uh, he was sort of a superstar alchemist of his own. Uh, but he wrote this book about uh, the Holy Guardian Angel and how uh, a magician can just do anything if only he has his holy guardian angel. Mm. And he tells a story. It's very romantic. It'd make a great movie. Um, <laughs> there is a movie, actually. There is, um, oh, man, I forgot the name. It's an Irish film. I think it's called A Dark Song. Uh, I can't recall. I'm not sure if you've seen it. But no. there is actually a movie, um, not, not exactly about the story, the initial um, story you're talking about, but it is working with the Abramelin. Oh, all right. Yeah, anyways, okay. The, the, the thing is, uh, 
and Abraham the Jew, of course, was was a Kabbalist too, and he thought that was really so. He uh, Abraham the Jew was really familiar with uh, with the levels of consciousness that that uh, modern Kabbalists sort of uh, you know associate with this uh, uh, diagram called the Tree of Life. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so these are 10 levels, and they each represent truly levels of consciousness or, or levels of being awake. And uh, the, the top one, number one, would, of course, would be, uh, you know, Godhead itself. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, uh, in a sense, if we just keep waking up, uh, we eventually wake up to the fact that we've been everything all along, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, eventually you and me will both wake up to realize we've, we've been each other all along, you know? Right, um, right. But uh, uh, he especially said in so many words that a person, a magician, isn't even a fully realized person yet until they've achieved this level of consciousness uh, associated with that six sephira on the tree of life. Mm-hmm. And, and that is an experience that, that he termed gaining knowledge and conversation of your own holy guardian angel. It's as if the the first major reflection, direct reflection of Godhead itself is in a smaller reflection in number six. Number number one reflects directly into number six on that tree of life. Mm -hmm. And you, as number 10 on the tree of life, aren't really you until you unite with that reflection Mm. up in in number six. Mm -hmm. And that is what you shoot for in magic. Mm -hmm. Because unless you are that perfect reflection, you don't know what the hell is in your best interest or not. Mm. Okay, you you might be able to play with the dynamics of, of what makes you know magic work with intent and will and shit like that, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you don't know if you're doing it for your own best interests. Okay, mm-hmm. so until you know what's in your own best interest, all your magic is really hit and miss, and and potentially extremely dangerous. So your first act in magic is to get that holy guardian angel, or it should be if you're wise. But of course, everybody, everybody uh, jumps in the pool, you know. But <laughs> before they do that, and and uh, but the thing is, any magic that you do prior to the knowledge of the con- conversation of the holy guardian angel should be magic that helps you make it easier for you to get the Holy Guardian Angel. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I think it kind of ties in with what we were talking about earlier in the podcast. um, When when I asked you sort of does the Lima lead to awakening or enlightenment. And ultimately what you're saying is sort of the 
um, basically the initial practices that you do should be aimed at that itself, actually. Right. Mm -hmm. And and then from that point on, uh, it's no, it's not an allegory to say from that point on, then your angel is your guide. Mm, Yes. Mm -hmm. Literally from that point on, you know, your angel is your guide. In other words, you're being informed from that level of consciousness. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, very, so, uh, mm-hmm. so the, the, uh, that that's, should be the first goal of a magician. And for 40 years, you know, that was, uh, I paid lip service to the, the fact that I got to get my holy guardian angel. And, and, uh, you know, I did, uh, you know, uh, formal process of uh, uh, Liber Samak, which is uh, Crowley's uh, version of the, the Abramelin operation and, and all of that. But you know, I was getting old and I just, I don't think this is ever gonna happen to me like this. I may, I may never actually find out what's in my own best interest. I mean, I, <laughs> I may never get my angel. You know, I don't think I've got my angel. I don't feel like I've got my angel, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I had an experience not even trying to do anything in magical in particular. I had a, uh, an experience in New York City um, where I was uh, uh, staying at uh, a flat in, in Queens. And... Uh, one, I was completely alone watching tango movies uh, that a friend of mine uh, said, hey, you might want to watch these uh, tango uh, things because he was a tango enthusiast and he went off into Manhattan mm-hmm. that night to, to sweat. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, two or three things all of a sudden started to to click with me about the nature of love. Mm. And that, that and I was doing it while I was watching these two, these two dancers together. And it's so, it's so romantic and the music is, you know, gives you chills. Mm-hmm. And so I was being pumped into an altered state of consciousness. <laughs> you, you can see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this give and take, this simultaneous pushing and pulling and, and uh, uh, positive and negative and receptive and projectiveness uh, in their dance, all of a sudden kind of opened my eyes to the fact that love, just, just love, old-fashioned love as as we feel it is a two-way current mm-hmm. there's love that you give and love that you receive mm-hmm. okay and if if you're the love that you're giving just like the beatles song the love you you make is equal to the love you take you know or mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's absolutely right if you're poor pure beam of love is going out 
or projective or like the positive uh, side of uh, of uh, of spirit. You know, spirit is positive and negative, mm-hmm. uh, and active passive. If your active love ray can be matched by your receptive love ray, mm-hmm. in other words, if you can actually let go and allow yourself to be loved with the same intensity that you're loving, you've hit that golden, that golden feedback like, like a microphone that's put too near a speaker. Mm-hmm. It, it screeches back because it keeps getting louder and then it gets louder and then the louder becomes louder and the louder becomes louder. Mm-hmm. And that's just what happens, only it happens with a force mm-hmm. that is love. Mm-hmm. And when that clicked in me, the, there, there's all sorts of uh, uh, super actual personal uh, uh aspects to this dimensions to this that i i don't need to get into uh, (laughs) with anybody else literally because you and everyone listening to this has their own personal set and vocabulary of personal uh uh issues that will trigger the same thing okay Mm -hmm. but when that happened that love feedback started to happen okay Mm -hmm. and it was pure electricity like i've had my fingers stuck in an electric outlet (laughs) and it kept getting louder and louder and louder or stronger and stronger and stronger uh uh, so much so that i knew it was going to kill my body (laughs) You know, <laughs> and I didn't care. Okay. Mm. You know, I, I, from some part of my brain, I said, this is the way to go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, give in, let go. But something in me said, uh, no, uh, you know, uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> You've already gone. Mm. Okay. You've already gone. This right now is an eternal moment. This moment never stops. Mm. So you may as well keep your body alive for a while because this level never, ever stops. Mm. And I had to get up off the couch and take a walk. Okay. And it felt like electricity was coming out of my hands. I was afraid to move my hands around as a friend is going to knock stuff off the wall. (laughs) And I walked all over Queens and Queens is so much fun to walk around. Uh, At least that neighborhood is in uh, Jackson, Jackson Heights. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I came back uh the, the house is probably after midnight and uh my friend can't head and come back from uh from manhattan yet and uh it was only then did it dawn on me that this thing 
that I had kind of roughly in a containment chamber, this, this nuclear reaction that was going on in, in like a little, I had finally sort of captured it and put it in my chest somewhere, was my equivalent of my knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel. Because it was only then that I figured, okay, this is what mine is like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, I, I'd say it was transformative, but it was more transfigurous. <laughs> it, was, right. it was a transfiguration. Okay. And then I started to understand all sorts of stuff. And I just fell in love with everything. Oh, it's very beautifully uh, said and um, also very beautifully presented in your uh, HGA workshop too. So I definitely recommend checking that out to the listeners. Um, you know, you, very, you presented it very beautifully now, but that goes into a little bit more depth and there's more uh, visual aids and what have you. So definitely recommend uh, checking that out and, yeah, just uh, I think a lot of people sort of divide their magical practice or spiritual practice and their everyday open-eyed waking life, right? But with your story, it's sort of showing that every moment can be a magical moment, an illuminating moment too, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It already is. It already is. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Um, in general, because you've been, as I mentioned, you've been involved with Thelema for so many decades now, and you've seen, you know, different trends come and go. Um, one one question I'm pretty curious about is, what, what is your view on orders and lodges? I've never personally been a part of any order or lodge, but uh, do you consider them to be important, you know, in this current age? And um, what do you think, like these days, there are a lot of things like study groups and online Zoom uh, groups that people do and uh, what have you, where do you see things going in general in regards to um, orders, lodges, online study groups, and just curious kind of your take on that? Well, there, uh, there's no uh, real substitute mm -hmm. uh, for the, uh, an experience of a, of a well-trained initiation team. Mm -hmm. uh, putting you through a, a, a beautiful and artfully created uh, uh, temple initiation ceremony. Okay, there's just, uh, but you know, the luxury of having that happen uh, is getting rarer and rarer and rarer. Mm. And uh, uh, the greatest brick and mortar mystery schools in the world in the last two years have almost ceased to function mm -hmm. uh, uh, to their, not only their capacity, but uh, even my Masonic Lodge mm -hmm. uh, has, has scaled back so far. And uh, I, truly, I, I, I I can't predict the future, okay? <laughs> but but I don't think things will ever, ever be the same. Mm -hmm. Of course, of course, they won't be the same. They're never the same. 
<laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But especially now. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think um, it will be more and more important because all, all your work is done. Even nobody projects initiation on you. I'm sorry that if, if you, uh, if it's helpful for you to think that a holy man or a holy person uh, just by gazing at you is giving <laughs> you some kind of uh, darshan or, or um, a magical blessing that you can't, uh, that you otherwise uh, can't get from anybody else. I believe you're mistaken. Mm. And no matter how tight your initiation ceremony is, and how how cool and prepared your initiatory team is that's initiating you, you're initiating yourself. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything is self-initiation. You only have yourself to initiate you, no matter how many people are showing up to, to uh, help you through the psychodrama of your experience. Ultimately, you're doing it yourself. And all your magical practice, even if you do group workings and things like that, all your real magical practice that you do is solo. Mm-hmm. The, the, the best you can have for a group ritual is a group of people doing solo magic with each other. Right, right. So keeping that in mind, the, the future of human beings advancing and evolving and unfolding themselves uh, through uh, magical practices uh, uh, and uh, the initiatory techniques of the great lodges of uh, uh, antiquity and, and the presence. Um, I think that great work will continue. I don't think though it'll ever uh, again, in for the foreseeable future, uh, uh, be the the big social uh, events that we've seen uh, in the last, say, two hundred years with Freemasonry, or the the magical uh, societies such as the Golden Dawn or the the OTO, and more and more will be done. Uh, remotely, uh, just for people's uh, health and safety, and the fact that uh, the world is blowing away and burning down around us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, as you mentioned, sort of when one door closes, another opens, and so you know it's been uh, it's been a good opportunity to check out like your um, your pandemic workshops and. There are other online study groups and things going on. So it's, uh, there are other avenues to, you know, connect with other practitioners and um, get some insight, share some insights as well, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, I'm a, I'm a ham, okay? <laughs> I, I confess. And, uh, you know, every, every day since the pandemic, uh, every day at 10 o'clock, I try to do a little live show of some kind on my Facebook page. Uh, I think I read through 
most, if not all, of my books, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. 15, 20 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I need people, okay? Uh, uh, I need to interact with people. And if I have to do that um, with, uh, uh, on the internet and on FaceTime and uh, things like that, where, where people can leave comments and people can uh, uh, actually uh, uh, FaceTime me and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I'm having a richer social experience than I would have had uh, had the pandemic not hit us. Mm, most definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I think people, um, although, you know, your practice is solo, there is a, uh, a human need, I suppose, right? A human need for connection and for sharing and giving and receiving, as you mentioned earlier. So yeah, it's definitely, uh, you're, you call them the morning reads or something. I, I do enjoy those when I get the chance to uh, check them out on Facebook. So. And they stay up forever. And I, uh, some friend, uh, is kind enough to make a YouTube out of them instantly. And they're mm-hmm. all on YouTubes too, so. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, some guy did, uh, I forgot the name of the channel, but they're all archived like for each book and um, yeah, on a YouTube channel, definitely, definitely. Um, but if you wanna check those out live, you can obviously uh, find La Milo Duquette on Facebook too, right? Where you can right. actually check them out and uh, join the live feed and the chats and what have you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's that's the closest thing I've got to my daily blog, I guess, is Facebook. <laughs> so we won't be catching you on uh, TikTok anytime soon, doing some dances and. We'll re- <laughs> <laughs> break a move. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Bust a move. Um, I actually have a uh, listener question here, um, which I thought was a pretty interesting one. Um, I know regrets are in many sense unthelemic. But what is the regret that you have, either about something that you did or something that you didn't do? And how do Thelemites skate the line with regard to regrets? Regrets? I've had a few, but then <laughs> too few to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I regret about every, every other thought. <laughs> Every other behavior, okay? Uh, uh, If somebody thinks it's thelemic uh, not to have regrets or not to apologize or, or, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Screw that. Uh, No, I've got, of course, I've got uh, lots of regrets over, over things that I, uh, you know, may have done better or, or big blunders in my, my life. And because I'm just truly, I'm a klutz and I'm, <laughs> and I'm extremely lazy and, and uh, I'll do all sorts of unworthy things to get, uh, to get out of doing an honest day's work, you know? And uh, uh, so, no, I, I don't have a problem having regrets. Uh, I, all my problems are the things that are over the things <laughs> that I'm regretting. Uh, <laughs> You're regretting your regrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, 
but from a, and this, this may have uh, something to do with the fact that that I'm uh, I'm lazy and probably terribly uh, uh, unhealthily narcissistic. Mm -hmm. uh, the, even though I have regrets and I, ad I admit to uh, uh, my shortcomings, mm -hmm. uh, I forgive myself quite easily. Oh, that's a good thing. Well, it sounds pretty healthy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, so the, uh, I figure if I don't forgive myself, nobody else is, uh, going to either. Mm -hmm. uh, so I go ahead and, and, uh, I'll beat myself up over, over something and I, I won't forget it. You know, it's not that I put it so far behind me that I don't cringe whenever I think of something that, uh, that I should, uh, you know, regret. Oh, most definitely. I guess but one I, thing I'm, I'm curious in that regard is since uh, Thelema itself, we kind of talked about you have Enochian magic, you have tarot, you have Kabbalah. It's sort of, uh, it's almost like a university with all these separate master classes that you can go off and do a PhD in, I suppose, right? And so yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious if you, you know, we only have one incarnation currently, I suppose, but if you almost, if you could spend a lifetime uh, in like one, uh, if you could almost go back in time and say, Hey, I'm going to spend 60 years in this, uh, one of these sort of like offshoots, w would there be any, if you go back, go back and explore tarot for another 50 years or Enochian, would there be any, um, uh, like area that you kind of regret not diving deeper into? Uh, well, probably the, uh, the more, more subtle Eastern, uh, 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 meditative, uh, meditative thing. I, I, I sort of uh, wish that I could be more, uh, uh, especially since my experience in New York. Uh, uh, I wish I was more roomy esque. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wish that, you know, I could uh, 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 be more Sufi-like. Mm, okay, okay. And uh, so, so, that, so that's it. Uh, everything else has uh, uh, serves to be a vocabulary uh, where I can explain things to myself. Mm. But, but... Uh, uh, you know, I can see things in Kabbalistic terms, and I can see those illustrated and uh, expressed in in tarot, and and I can see the Enochian thing as as uh, fractals of consciousness, uh, uh, and uh, I can see the Enochian aethers, thirty Enochian aethers, as you know, comparable to the. Uh, but that's all linear, linear kind of stuff and I, I'm glad I know about it and and I am who I am because I learned it mm -hmm. but but I would really like to be able to you know just love myself across the abyss okay sort of resting in that compassionate awareness yeah uh, you know because I I have a sense you know when uh, 
I have a sense of that, mm -hmm. a, a glimpse of that, but I don't get it in textbooks or grimoires or mm -hmm. anything. I, I get a glimpse of it in poetry and music. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, one thing I'm curious is just, you know, talking to you and reading your books, you have such a great sense of humor. Were you always like this or is this something uh, you developed or you got from, you know, is it something in your family? <laughs> well, um, uh, my, my father was, uh, you know, sort of a serious minded Freemason geologist. And, uh, but, but my mother had a, had a great sense of humor when she wasn't uh, being uh, otherwise terrifying. Uh, <laughs> But I, I think it's probably just a, a very simple psychology of uh, uh, I found it. I loved early television. We had the first television in our neighborhood in Lakewood, California. Mm -hmm. And uh, I loved uh, watching Jack Benny and Burns and Allen and, and uh, Milton Burrow and Sid Caesar and I Love Lucy. Mm -hmm. And so, so a lot of these people, J Jack Benny especially, and Bob Hope, uh, they all came out of vaudeville. And, mm -hmm. and vaudeville was such a, an audience, intimate audience interaction. Uh, kind of experience and that the the laughter thing meant love to me hmm. and and so when jack benny made the audience laugh or when groucho marx made the audience laugh i i sensed that that holy guardian angel double current thing happening hmm. And uh, but of course, it would be 60 years before, you know, I labeled it as such. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, I associated uh, my wit uh, being able to trigger that response. And so so early on, I became the class clown. And uh, I think I had attention deficit disorder. <laughs> I was a horrible student, but I could, literally could make everybody laugh. And uh, just about as soon as I became so disruptive in class, they discovered that I could sing. And they, they said, okay, let's take him out of class a lot and, and put him in the musicals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so uh and so my my class clownness uh, uh early on even in grade school by the sixth grade uh i they were saying get him out of class and put him in show business so <laughs> <laughs> uh that's pretty funny yeah well it does uh your humor i mean it makes your writing and your um presentations enjoyable for sure and definitely I'm sure it creates a lot more relatability for a lot of people as well you know 
Well, uh, the thing is, it's funny. Everything's funny, especially occultism and occultists are funny. Oh, and no and uh, I knew the, the morning I sat, accidentally sat on my wand that I'd just taken two weeks to consecrate, and I broke it in two. I knew if I didn't think this was funny, that I didn't deserve to be a magician. Mm. So, so I became uh, 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 quite convinced that uh, 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 the best way to stay sane when working with an irrational uh, spiritual art form <laughs> was to see how funny everything was as well as how serious everything was. Oh, most definitely, definitely. All right, well, this has been a really uh, great interview and um, really enjoyed talking to you. But uh, as we mentioned earlier, you have some great uh, pandemic workshops up. And I know that recently you did put out um, one on invocation I saw, and uh, I believe a Jupiter talisman one, I think popped up on Facebook as well. But yeah. are, there any, um, are there any plans for any future books or any future pandemic workshops coming up? Uh, well, uh, I just finished the, the invocation uh, uh, Zoom workshop. Mm -hmm. I've uh, coming up in December. I've got uh, I'm doing I'm going back to China, mm. uh, but uh, on the internet I'm going online. <laughs> uh, I'm doing uh, the the uh seminars uh, live uh, for for Chinese students in December. Uh, and so I'm busy preparing that because every everything I say has to be translated mm. uh, as I'm saying it. So they're they're live workshops, you know, because the Enochian thing is experiential. Uh, so I'm working on that. Uh, the second edition, the new enlarged second edition of Homemade Magic, uh, uh, is in the can and being. Uh, 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 released uh, probably after the first of the year uh, mm -hmm. from from a new publisher, uh, the magical uh, uh, the folks at Magical Omaha, the same people that are doing the tarot cards. Okay. So so I'm doing that, and yes, I've got uh, another uh, uh, another book in the works for uh, for my. Publisher Wiser, my, my, my old best publisher. But <laughs> uh, uh, I'll be able to talk more about that in a little in a little while. Okay. And so yeah, I'm keeping extremely busy, uh, and uh, even throughout this the trauma of this this move to Sacramento. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like. Uh... Sounds like, uh, you know, you, you lost some stuff or some stuff got damaged. It's very rare to hear somebody move and things go very smoothly, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah. but yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, where can people find you? You know, we're talking a lot about your books and uh, where can people find your books and your pandemic workshops? Well, uh, they can they can find it on uh, my Facebook page, Log My yeah. Facebook page. But I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to give you my email address, mm -hmm. because if, if you would uh, uh, like me to, to send you uh, a link to, to order all of the 
for any or all of the pandemic workshops. I can just send those right to you mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, tell you how to, how to do that and everything else. So my email address, mm -hmm. I'm going to give out my email address. I have no privacy. What the heck? <laughs> it's Lon Milo. One word. Mm -hmm. Lon Milo at Gmail. Mm -hmm. com. Okay, very simple, very easy. And also on uh, Facebook at Lon Milo Duquette, right? That's right. All right, cool. Yeah, definitely recommend checking out his Facebook. And uh, he, he does those, um, the live reads, I'm pretty sure, daily. So you can check those out as well. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for coming on. This has been really good. And uh, very interesting that you're uh, very close to where I grew up now. You moved uh, You moved about, God, I don't know, by car just a few minutes away from where my mother currently lives. So um, welcome to my old neighborhood. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, yeah. And enjoy, yeah, enjoy all the, uh, the good coffee at Temple Coffee and yeah. the Brothers and all the, all my old, uh, my old stomping grounds, you know. <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah, there's McKinley Park right down the street here from me. Oh, Boy, yeah, beautiful. And I love Land Park. Oh, my gosh. That's so beautiful. Oh, those are both. Yeah, those are both beautiful places. Sacramento de definitely does have some amazing parks and they do call it like the city of trees. There are trees everywhere, especially in your neighborhood as well. So, yeah, yeah. I love it. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Thanks for uh, coming on. And until next time. Okay, thanks for having me. Thanks for thinking of me. <laughs>